Earth Day 2018 was no match for COVID-19. Earth Day 2018, there was a headline in the Los Angeles Times that read, and I quote, how skipping a plastic straw can help save the planet, end quote. And they offer two options on skipping the plastic straw. One of them is purchase uh, reusable straws. They're, they're very helpful. We have some in our house. The second one was not very helpful is using a... Uh, I can't even say it, church. Paper straws. Oh, my heavens. Paper straws. Going to save the planet and replace plastic straws. Man, how things have changed uh, since the how skipping a plastic straw can help save the planet movement. Now we have plastic everything, don't we? (laughs) We've got plastic containers and plastic wrappers and plastic wrappers for plastic containers. Single-use plastic products are through the roof right now. Do you know we dispose of 129 billion masks per month worldwide, 65 billion gloves per month worldwide. As a result, 30% more waste has been dumped in our oceans over the past year. And by the year 2050, there will be more waste in 29 years. There will be more waste in our oceans weight-wise than there will be sea life. We can look at that and say, man, that's a total waste, man. Look at all that just waste. Well, when we get to Mark 14, verse 3 through 9, what happens in the house of Simon the leper? Some there see that, and they categorize that as, what a waste. That's just wasteful. But Jesus' response is a little different, and we're going to see what that is today. So look at it with us. Mark 14, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. We're only going to unpack 3 through 9, but need to kind of back up, give you some context. So if you're there, say, I'm there. All right, here we go. Mark 14, verse 1. Let's dive in together. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Look at verse 2. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table... A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Father, we are so grateful that we have before us today the Word of God, that that we can open your Word and we can hear from you. We're so grateful today for the reading and Holy Spirit, the teaching of your Word. We pray, Holy Spirit, you'll help us respond to your Word, to receive your Word, and to obey your Word. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, 
All right, based upon this text, here's our takeaway. It's, I've worded it this way. Worshiping Jesus is never a waste. It's never a, it's never a waste of time. It's never a waste of giftedness. It's never a waste of resources. It's never a waste to worship. Worshiping Jesus is never a waste. Amen? So I want to give you five helps right out of these verses, three through nine, that will help us not waste our worship. Here's the first one. Worshiping Jesus is ongoing. Amen? It's ongoing. You know what I wish? I wish that everywhere I went, our orchestra could accompany me. Everywhere I went, I wish they could accompany me and worship would be nonstop all the time. Don't you love our orchestra? Can you give God praise for our orchestra? Amen! And amen and amen! But worshiping, singing, worship is just not singing. So when I say worshiping Jesus is ongoing, I'm not just talking about singing all the time. What I mean is making the glory of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God known all the time. With your lips, with your life, with your actions, with your decisions, making the glory, goodness, and greatness of God known. That is worship. And this worship... Worshiping Jesus is nonstop. It's ongoing. It's without end. It's perpetual. It's forever. It never ends. Have you ever been to the dentist and he, and he or she asked you the question, when was the last time you flossed? And answering honestly, you have to say, well, you were there, Doc. Whatever my last date dental appointment was, that's when my teeth were last flossed. You were there. I hope and pray that if I were to ask you today, when was the last time you worshipped? I hope and pray you don't say, well, pastor, you were there. Or it was the last time I was in worship online or in person. Listen, worship is not regulated to one day on the calendar. Worshiping Jesus is your calendar. It's ongoing. It does not stop. Verse 3 really highlights this for us. I want you to see the, the setting of this first of all. What is happening in Mark 14? Well, it's the Passover week. You can think of this week as a celebration. Think of it like this. The celebration of the Jewish Independence Day. The day that the, 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 the Jewish people were set free from Egyptian bondage is what they're celebrating. 1,500 years prior, the Passover lamb was slaughtered. The blood of the lamb was put over the doorpost. And the death angel passed over every home where there was blood on the doorpost. This is what they're celebrating when we get to Mark 14. They celebrated it every year. And so here they are at this very time. Within days, and Jesus has told his disciples over and over and over again, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried. On the third day, I'm going to be raised. He's told them over and over again, and now here we are, now it's time. Within days, Jesus will be crucified, dead, and buried. He will raise from the dead on the third day. That's about to happen in the context of Mark 14. And so Jesus gets his disciples together, and they go to Bethany, and they're going to have a dinner in honor of Jesus. And so we see the setting. It's the Passover week. We see those who were seated there. The Bible tells us it's in the house of Simon the leper. John's gospel tells us who all is there. 
John's account tells us that Mary, the sister of Martha, is there. Martha is there. Lazarus is there. We know his disciples are there. We know Simon the leper is there. So you've got Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. You have Simon, whom he healed. And you have the disciples there. And they have Jesus seated at the, 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 the guest of honor, and they're honoring him. So we see the setting, we see the seating, and then we're just going to see what happens all of a sudden. There's a lady in the text that comes with this vial of perfume, this very expensive perfume. And the Bible says a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment very costly, and she broke it and poured it over Jesus. Now, who is this lady? Well, Mark doesn't tell us. John tells us. John tells us it's Mary, the sister of Martha, who takes this flask, breaks it, and pours over the head of our Lord. And you can imagine this very costly alabaster jar was probably her most prized earthly possession. I don't know if it was a, I don't know if she was saving it for a wedding. I don't know if it was a gift. I don't know if it was an inheritance. I don't know if it was a family heirloom. But it was most likely very, we know it's very costly, most likely her prized possession. So what does she do with her prized possession? Does she bury it in the backyard? Does she put it in a safety deposit box? Does she put it in, a, in, in her safe at home? Does she call all her friends and host an online perfume party with her Facebook friends? Does she go buy GameStop stock with it? What is she doing with this very expensive perfume? She breaks it and pours it over the Lord. Can't you imagine that sweet aroma just filling that room? That fragrance just filling up every crook and cranny in that place. And it's so fascinating to me when we find Mary, the sister of Martha, in Luke and John twice and in Luke once, we find her in a very specific place. Let me show you what I mean. Luke chapter 10, verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Okay? So in, 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 in Luke's chapter 10, Mary, the sister of Martha, is sitting at the Lord's feet. Then we see her in John 11. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet. Then in John 12, verse 3, Mary took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. Three times Mary is mentioned by name. All three times she is found at the feet of our Lord, worshiping him. Two of those three times, two out of those three times, Mary is scolded for being there. She's scolded. She's ridiculed. Literally, the text says she's snorted at for being there. And one of the groups that, that snarled at her for being there, that scolded her for being there, was the church. The other group was her family. Remember, Martha said, Lord, Lord. Or Martha said, Lord, don't you care that my sister Mary has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. <laughs> and Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. It will not be taken from her. Oh, God, give us that kind of devotion. God, would you give us the devotion, the extravagant devotion and worship that Mary had and in the face of ridicule and in the face of a hostile culture in the face of being 
persecuted and ridiculed and scolded. She just couldn't help it. She kept coming back to the feet of Jesus. What devotion, what worship she expresses here. You know, some of you have dropped by today to worship, and I thank you for that. We had a, we had a snow day up at the Point Church, sort of. There, there was still some folks there in person, but uh, some people couldn't get there because of the snow on the mountain this morning. So I'm glad you're here in person. Thank you for being here. I'm sure you walked three miles uphill in the snow to get here, so thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for worshiping online. I'm so glad that you have connected with us either by television or either on Facebook or live stream. Thank you for joining us online. As you worship with us online, as you worship with us at home, I hope and pray that you're worshiping with us. I hope you have your family in one room, and I hope you have your Bibles open and your Bible app pulled up, and I hope you're sitting down with one device and worshiping. I hope your family's not scattered all over the house and everybody on a different device. I hope you're all in the same place worshiping at the feet of Jesus. I hope and pray that you're worshiping. I hope, I hope that this isn't just background noise that you have on in the house while you're cleaning up the kitchen. I hope right now you're not sweeping the floor. I hope right now you're not folding clothes. I hope right now that you're not cooking breakfast, brunch, or lunch. I hope right now you're not working on some project in the house. I hope you're not scrolling on some platform. I hope and pray that you stop all of that. Really, come in here close. Quit it. Stop it. Stop folding. Yeah, you. Stop cleaning. Stop folding. Stop sweeping. Stop working. Sit down. Open the Word of God. Sit under the teaching of the Word of God. This is what Mary, we find her always at the feet of our Lord. There's nothing more important than devoting your life, your heart, your thoughts, your actions, your decisions to the glory, goodness, and greatness of God. Nothing is more important than that. Well, Pastor, I don't feel like it. You know, there's two times that the Word of God pictures people that are worshiping. Two times. One time is when they feel like it, and one time is when they don't. And those are the times we're to worship God. I, I don't care how bad your, your day is. I don't care. Jesus is worthy of your worship on the worst day of your life. He is worthy of your worship. On the best day of your life, He's worthy of your worship. Listen, your circumstance is never bigger. Whatever it is that is stealing your worship, it's never bigger than the Christ who is worthy of your worship. So give Him all praise, all glory, all honor. We can't worship Jesus too much. We can't because we'll never be able to worship Him enough. It's impossible. The early church never looked for an excuse to not worship. They never looked for excuses to not go to worship. They never looked for excuses to not worship. They always looked for excuses to worship. And that's what we're called to do every single day. It's nonstop. Do you know why worshiping Jesus is ongoing? Here's why. Have you ever heard anybody refer to Jesus as the late Jesus? Like he died and he's the late Jesus? No. Why? Because he's alive. And those who worship him, worship him forevermore. It doesn't stop. It's ongoing. Mary couldn't help herself. She could not. She had to take advantage of the opportunity to worship Jesus in this extravagant, devoted way. 
I pray you're doing the same. Here's a second help that will help us not waste our worship. Number two, worshiping Jesus is not about what you get. It's not about what you get. It's not about what I get. It's not about what we get. Now, the reality is we can never outgive God, but we don't do it to get. We do it to give. So worshiping Jesus is not about what we get. Look at verse 4. There were some that were not in agreement with this extravagant, devoted worship. And again, it's not pagans. It's the church. It's the disciples. The disciples. Oh, the disciples. They couldn't get out of their own way. They griped about the children coming. They tried to keep the children from coming to Jesus. They fell asleep on Jesus in the garden. Peter outright said, Jesus, you're wrong. You're not going to Jerusalem and dying. We'll never let that happen. Here they're rebuking this woman who is devoted to worship. Man, they couldn't get out of their own way. Well, who, who, who are these some? Well, John tells us again that Judas is the ringleader, okay? And Judas really didn't care about the poor. I know he says here, well, I was this way to give it to him. He doesn't care about the poor. In fact, John tells us he liked to take some money out of the money bag. He kept the money bag, and he liked to treat himself to what was in the money bag. Why? Because he loved money. He worshipped money. He worshipped the almighty dollar, not the almighty God. That was his God was money. In fact, we're told in verse 10, if you'll look at it in Mark 14, verse 10 and 11, check this out. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he saw an opportunity to betray him. That, that was his heart. His heart was money. So here we have two different comparisons. Mary is worshiping Jesus. Judas is worshiping Judas. What can Judas get? Not what can Judas give Jesus, but what can Judas get? That's our natural bent in the flesh is this, we naturally gravitate toward a Judas-like spirit. I have to check my motivation. Why do I pray? Why do I study the Word? Why do I preach? Why do I have to check my motivation? Is it for me to get something or is it for me to give something? I pray when you worship here in person, I pray that when you stand on this platform, you're not up here to be seen by people. That's not the right money. It's not what you get out of it. It's what you give through it. I pray when you serve in whatever area you serve in our church, it's not to get, but to give. Judas was all about getting. Mary's all about giving. Huge difference. And notice what they do. In the end of verse 5, they scolded her. The Greek says they flared their nostrils and snorted at her. I mean, these guys are furious. Why? Because she has taken what they love, money, something very costly that could be easily transferred into money, and in their heart and mind have wasted it. So they're furious. Have you ever seen someone's devotion to Jesus and thought, man, that's too much. Settle down. Don't get so excited about Jesus. Settle down. Cool off a little bit. You don't always have to be about Jesus. See, worship is not about what happens right here and right now. It is that, but it's also what happens before this service, during this service, after this service, and between all our services. It's what happens every day of the week. It, it's, it's making, again, the glory, greatness, and goodness of God. You no, know, and I can remember when Tanya and I told our family 
our friends, our church, that we were surrendering to vocational ministry. Our family looked at us and said, what are y'all doing? My family looked at me and said, what do you mean you're going back to school? You barely got out of school the first time. And they were absolutely correct. I barely got out of school. It took me seven years to get a four-year degree. Don't go that track. Avoid that. That was an undergrad. Don't do that. My, my mentor at work told me, he said, Sam, the last thing this world needs is another pastor. They don't need another. What are you doing? There's no money in ministry. What are you doing? You're throwing your life away. And so it goes, so it goes, so it goes. Yes, you're going to be scolded. You're going to be ridiculed. People are going to look at you funny. Say, man, I'm living for Jesus. And I'm not talking about just vocationally. I'm talking about just as a Christian living in the marketplace. People are going to look at you like you're crazy. But again, worshiping Jesus is not about what we get. Number three, this will help you. Worshiping Jesus is about what we give. What you give. And what this woman gave to Jesus, can you imagine the aroma that filled that room and the fragrance that went all the way up to the halls of heaven and was sweet in God the Father's nostrils. Oh, can you imagine? You know, some images that we see can really uh, be, be felt in all our senses. Like when you see a picture, it may bring back memories of something you've experienced in the past. I brought a picture I want to show you today. Uh, I can smell that picture more than I can see it. Anybody in here feel me? This cap gun? Anybody? Boy, I can smell it like I, like I shot it just, just now. Some images do that. This image in Mark 14 has that potential. That all this perfume is poured out on Jesus' head. John tells us that she poured it on his feet, took her hair down, and wiped his feet with her hair. So you can imagine the aroma that filled that place. Wow, it was about what Mary was giving, not about what she was getting. And notice what Jesus said. How many of you know that Jesus loves his church? <laughs> you know that? How many of you know that Jesus is building his church? That he's defending his church. And here he tells these disciples, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? Hey, I've got a word to those who feel like, if you feel like you're called to criticize the church, if you feel like you're called to throw rotten eggs at the church, if you feel like God has gifted you with the gift of deconstructing the church, let, let me remind you that there's a full-time accuser that's already doing it. It's Satan, the devil. Jesus even said to Judas, one of you is a devil, talking about Judas. So Judas here represents the accuser of the church, while Jesus is our advocate, our full-time advocate. He is the one defending us, building us, saving us, redeeming us, giving us a future, a hope. And he is worthy of our worship. And Mary knew it. I like the fact that when you look at Scripture, you can see in Eden there's a man named Adam, and he teaches us about sin. And then you can see at a place called Ur, there was a man called Abraham, and he teaches us about the promise. And then you can see in us a man named Job, and he teaches us about suffering. 
And then we see this man from Galilee. <laughs> they call him the God-man. A hundred percent human, a hundred percent God. And he teaches us about love. And he takes this, this extravagantly act of worship that Mary pours out on Jesus. And look what he calls it. Not what Judas calls it. Look what Jesus calls it in verse 6. She has done a beautiful thing to me. <laughs> what Judas called wasteful, Jesus called what? Beautiful. What Judas says, man, that's a waste. Jesus said, this is a beautiful thing she has done. It's beautiful. I know that, that some of you have deep scars. Emotional scars, maybe physical scars, spiritual scars, relational scars, psychological scars. I know you've got deep scars. And the Judases look at that. The world looks at those scars and, and, and they say, what a waste. How wasteful. All that pain and suffering you went through that is represented in that scar. How wasteful. And Jesus looks at your scars and says, for a believer, he says, how beautiful. Your scars, believer, they are a testimony to other people that there is a healer who heals. Think about all the scars Paul walked around with. And his scars would testify that this Paul has been healed by the healer. And so well, what this world calls wasteful when it comes to the church and believers serving the Lord. With the devotion that we see Mary do. And they say, what a waste. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. This is a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing she has done to me. Hey, I pray today that if there's anything you've yet to give up for God, that you'd give it up for him today. I'm going to call you to give it up for God today. And if there's yet anything you've given to God, I'm going to call you to give it to Him today. Because worshiping Jesus is all about what you give. Amen? Here's number four. Worshiping Jesus is about the great commandment. Verse 7 is about the great commandment. Jesus is making a comparison. Now at first glance, we may think this comparison is between Jesus and the poor. But that's not it at all. Jesus wants us to serve the poor. He wants us to love our neighbor. He wants us to do this for the least of these because when you do, you've done it unto me. He wants us to practice true religion, just caring for widows and orphans. That's what he wants us to do. He's not here contradicting himself. He's not making a comparison between Jesus and the poor. He's making a comparison between the always and the not always. You're always, you'll always have the poor with you. Listen, I don't care what kind of government stimulus or aid or assistance we get. We're always, there's always going to be poverty. Always. We're in a broken, fallen world. It's always going to be available to us. 
to reach the poor and care for the poor and serve the poor. It'll always, but Jesus is telling his disciples, you're not always going to have me. In fact, in a few days, he's going to be gone. He's going to be resurrected. He's not going to be there physically. Yes, he'll send the Holy Spirit to indwell them at Pentecost, but currently, just saying a few days, I'm out of here. You're not always going to have me. So what she is doing to me is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that she's doing. She understands the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God first. That's the first. The second is like it, but the second is not first. Love God, then love people. And Jesus understood. She was loving Him, being devoted to Him, worshiping Him. And that's the whole point. In other words, she understood when Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Apparently she was listening. And apparently, unlike the disciples, she believed him. And apparently she understood that after three days, that that on the third day, the women would come to anoint Jesus' body for burial, but he would not be there. He would be gone because he was raised from the dead. So she did what she could, when she could, and she anointed his body when she had the opportunity because she knew in a few days he was going to go to the cross. And so what does she do? She goes out of her way to serve her Lord. And she worshipped him by upholding, obeying the great commandment to love God him with all that she had and all that she was and she demonstrates that's here that's what we're called to do to love the lord to god to obey the great commandment worshiping jesus is about the great commandment see as a believer we can all say if you are if you put your faith and trust in christ this is what you can say you can say today if i die today i'll be with jesus you can say that and if not He'll be with me. And you can say that. As a believer, you can say, if I die today, I'm going to be with Jesus. If I don't die today, Jesus is going to be with me. And he is in the, in the presence and person of the Holy Spirit who indwells you. Absolutely correct. But Mary understood that he was about to leave physically, and she wanted to give him this extravagant worship. And so she did. If the greatest commandment is to love God, and as Adrian Rogers said, the greatest sin is not to. And she understood that. So I'm going to love the Lord. I don't care what everybody says or what everybody thinks. I'm going to to love the Lord. Every week I receive a notification on my phone about how much time I've spent on my phone. You get these? Boy, they could just do without. Just stop it. Just quit sending that to me, right? That'd be great if you just wouldn't send it anymore. But every week I get one. And I think last week it was three hours, 15 minutes per day, something like that. Well, I took that number and figured out I took that time, that, and that's a real conservative time. Normally it's more than that. But I took that time, said, okay, if I read my Bible every day that long, how many times would I read through the Bible this year? 23 times. 23 times. How do we love the Lord our God? We get in His Word. You want to hear God speak to you? Read the Bible. You want to hear God speak out loud to you? Read the Bible out loud. Because God has spoken, and we have it right here. This is His Word. And if we love Him, we're going to get in the Word. And so let's love Him and get in the Word. You say, well, that's extreme. Why would you read the Bible 23 times? That's extreme. That's extravagant. Yeah, you sound just like Judas. Sound just like him. That's what Judas said. This is crazy. Why is she wasting all this? It's about the great commandment. Worshiping Jesus is about loving Him more than 
Fill in the blank. Anything and everything. Here's number five. Worshiping Jesus is about the great commission. Worshiping Jesus is about the great commission. Not only the great commandment, but the great commission. Worshiping Jesus is about the great commission. So take your Bible. Go to Mark 16. You're in Mark 14. Turn over a couple of pages to Mark 16. And in Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, we have Mark's version of the Great Commission. And Mark's version of the Great Commission is this. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's the Great Commission according to Mark. So you go back to Mark 14 and you look at verse 9. Listen to what it says. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's the Great Commission. To go and proclaim the gospel in the whole world. Do you imagine... That when Mary broke that vial of perfume and began to pour it over Jesus' head. And when she let down her hair and began to wipe his feet. Do you think in that moment when she was just caught up in worship. Do you think in that moment she thought to herself, you know, on February the 7th, 2021. At Red Bank Baptist Church, they're going to be talking about this very event. Do you think she was thinking that? (laughs) No, she wasn't. She was caught up in worship. You know, when I think about heaven, and I think about getting to heaven, and I think about all the people we can talk to when we get to heaven, and, and, and we think, when we think of heaven, we think, man, we get to see Billy Graham and it's going to, you know, his, all that he did for the Lord and all the billions of people that came to Christ through his ministry in past, present, and future. And we think about those that have their name in, you know, in the life. We think about Abraham and getting to talk to Adam and Eve and getting to talk to... And we think about all these names and lights in heaven. But you know, what's, you, you know what I think will probably be the, the most crowded area up there in heaven? His testimonies like Mary's. Men and women who, <laughs> in mundane, everyday, single moms trying to make it, single dads trying to make it, names that have never been heard of before, acts that have never been seen before. Man, can you imagine how many of those that will be celebrated in heaven? This extravagant devotion and worship of King Jesus. This has been told of her since 2,000 years ago. Wow. She did what she could, the Bible says. In other words, she didn't do what she couldn't do. God doesn't expect you to do what you can't. He expects you to do what you can. He doesn't expect you to do what somebody else can do. He expects you to do what you can do. And to do it right now. And to worship Him right now. And to give whatever He's asking you to give up right now. And to do it now. There are at least four accounts in the Old Testament. 
that are scoffed at by the world. That people just don't believe it. Jonah and the whale, that people just don't believe that. Or Jonah and the great fish, they don't believe that. Uh, Adam and Eve existed, they don't believe that. Noah and the flood, you got to be kidding me. Sodom and Gomorrah, no way. But those four accounts in the Old Testament, do you know Jesus affirms all four of them in the Gospels? You know that? He affirms every one of them. And here he affirms Mary's devotion to him. Wow. And it's in the, and it's, and it's in the, it's in the context of the Great Commission. That wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, we just read that's the Great Commission. That what she has done will be told of her, in memory of her. Wow. You see, when we go out and proclaim the gospel and share the good news, we have to tell the truth right? And that can be difficult because it's a hostile place that we go in this culture and tell people about Jesus. Having gospel conversations can be, you can be ridiculed, uh, you can be laughed at, you can be scoffed at, you can be snorted at, like Mary. Sure, that's going to happen. It may very well happen. But we can't be the salt of the earth and sugarcoat the truth. That can't happen. It doesn't work that way. Imagine tomorrow, we've got two trucks coming in the morning. We've got two trucks. We'd love for you to, to be here to help us. 7.30 a.m., we'll take, we'll take volunteers, and that'll be a blessing to help us get these trucks unloaded. People are going to drive through and get these boxes of food, and we're going to pray for them and, and hopefully be able to share the gospel with some of them along the way, and that's what we're praying for. And, but imagine if the trucks come tomorrow, and there's whatever, 2,000 boxes, or whatever we'll get tomorrow, maybe 4,000 boxes, I don't know, just a lot of boxes, all right? And instead of food in the boxes, let's say tomorrow we try something different. And rather than food being in the boxes, let's say they're filled with cookbooks. Boy, that would be a blessing, won't it? Giving a cookbook to someone in need who's hungry probably isn't a great idea, is it? And any other and every other gospel, any other and every other religion besides Christ and Him crucified, every moralism, good deed, good work outside of the gospel, every religion outside of the gospel, all it is, all it provides is a cookbook for spiritually starving people. That's all it provides. Yet we have the bread of life. We have the living water. We have the gospel. And yes, it's the truth. And yes, the truth hurts sometimes. But yes, the truth is how we're sanctified as believers. It's how we're saved when we're lost. It's the truth. And the truth is that Jesus is worthy of our worship at all times. And it's never a waste to worship him. It's never a waste. John Newton said it like this. If I ever reach heaven, I expect to find three wonders. Number one, to meet some I had not thought to see there. Number two, to miss some I had expected to see there. And number three, the greatest wonder of all, to find myself there. My greatest concern for you is not if your feelings are hurt. I'm sorry, it's not. My greatest concern for you is not if you're disappointed in me or our church, that's not my greatest concern. My greatest concern for you is not where you'll be a year from now or five years from now or ten years from now. My greatest concern for, me, for you is where will you be 100 years from now? 
Will you be in glory with Jesus? Will you be worshiping Him with Mary in, in, in this place called heaven? I hope and pray that you've made that decision. If not, you need to today. Because here's, here's what we have happening in this text. We've got Mary worshiping Jesus. We've got Judas worshiping Judas. And Jesus had something to say about Mary, and he had something to say about Judas. We've already seen what he had to say about Mary. That wherever this gospel is proclaimed, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Okay? So that's the kind of devoted life you need to have. So what is the next step, believer, for you in this devotion? Is it to be baptized? Is it to be a member of this church? Is it to take the next step toward ministry? Whatever ministry that is. It doesn't have to be vocationally, but it can be in your step of of service to the Lord. What's that next step that you need to take in order to give up what you need to give up to God and give up what you need to give up for God? What is that step for you? I can't answer that question for you. That's between you and the Lord. So what is it that you're ready to give up to God and give up for God that needs to happen today? These steps are going to be open for the people in the room. I'm going to invite you to come and lay them down. I'm going to call you to give it up today, and you come and lay it down at these steps. Jesus had something to say about Judas. Here's what he said about Judas. Jesus said it would have been better for that man. Listen to this. It would have been better for that man, Judas, if he had not been born. If, if you live your whole life and you're never born again, then it would have been better for you if you were never born. Now, that seems harsh, doesn't it? But the Bible says very plainly, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So I, I don't know where you are with the Lord. Remember, the people that are criticizing here, this is the church. Judas was following Jesus, or he was a part of the disciples. He was really following Judas, disguised as following Jesus. So there's some decisions you need to make. I can't make them for you, but church, we need to understand, worshiping Jesus is never a waste. You take Adam and Eve. They worship the one who was known as the way, the Bible says, as they walked with him in the cool of the day, the Bible says. I think about blind Bartimaeus, who worshiped the offspring of David by taking that, 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 that security blanket and tossing it aside. And he began to follow the, the root of David. I think about the New Testament church. Man, you can read about the New Testament church and how they, they worship the head of the church by making worship the heartbeat of the church. Man, it's that kind of worship we need to copy and paste because when we worship Jesus, I don't, it's never a waste. I think about Daniel in the lion's den. In the lion's den, with the lions, he is worshiping the lion of the tribe of Judah. I think about, I think about David. David is worshiping the deliverer. As the Bible says, his mourning was turned to dancing. You say, well, pastor, we're Baptists. Can Baptists dance? I say, well, some of us can. And some of us can't. The fisher, the fishers of men, they worship. How how do the fishers of men worship? How did those disciples worship? They worship the founder and perfecter of their faith by fishing for men. By, by entering into people's lives and having conversations with them. This is the type of worship we need to copy. It's an everyday worship. It's an ongoing worship. 
I think of those that were headed to, like me, my heart and your heart, that were headed to hell. But because Jesus headed to the hill, we can worship him because now we're headed to heaven. I think about Noah. I mean, think about Noah. Noah worshipped the rock of ages by building a boat when there were no rain-filled gauges. It never rained. And they're looking at him saying, what are you doing? Why are you building a boat? He said, I'm worshipping the Lord God. Isaiah worshipped God by saying, here am I, send me. Joshua worshipped with trumpets and shouts as they walked around Jericho. And there wasn't one military bout at Jericho. That's the kind of worship we need to copy and paste. Oh, God, help us as a church to worship you the way Mary worshiped you, Lord. Give us that kind of devotion and let it start today. Let let these men and women in this room get up out of their seat and come to these steps and say, Lord, I'm giving it all to you and I'm giving it all up for you. Whatever that is for people online, Lord, I pray that they'll take the time to text us connect to 79969 and say hey here's a decision I've made or I need to make this decision or I need to talk to somebody about trusting Jesus as my savior now Mary anointed the body of Jesus before his burial certainly after the burial of Christ and after his resurrection certainly we can worship the resurrected savior for he has died for our sins For he has been buried and he's alive today. He's our living hope. And I pray if there are people that are worshiping with us today and they have no hope, they're hoping with no hope, I pray today that they'll put their faith and trust in you. That they'll call on the name of Jesus and today they will be saved. Lord, that today they'll be able to worship you 